Hello and welcome to our Unenlightenment podcast. My name is Eric English. I'm your resident philosopher, theologian, and ninja. Hey, another great show for you today. I have with me Dr. Dave Fitch. Uh, Dave is a professor and linear chair of evangelical theology at Northern Seminary Chicago. He is a, a co-pastor at Peace of Christ Church Westmont and author of books like What is the Purpose of the Church and The End of Evangelicalism. He is also very active on social media, a strong presence there, a strong following of a diverse group of people uh, and opinions. He is with us here today. Welcome, Dave. Hey, good to be with you, my friend, Eric. Uh, look forward to talking. Yeah, so a question, this is going to sound a little uh, combative right off the, right off the, out of the gate here, but I don't mean it to be. Um, do, but given your title uh, at, as professor, do you consider yourself evangelical? Uh, well, it's getting harder and harder to, A, uh, call myself an evangelical and B, admit it. And uh, so um, I don't know how to answer that question except to say I grew up in an evangelical church and have struggled with the uh, history and the uh, lineage of being an evangelical in the North American context. Does that answer? Is that good enough? In other words, I'm not going to say I'm an evangelical, but I'm going to say I'm struggling with growing up evangelical, some of which, by the way, I deeply cherish, some of which I say, mm, I don't know how, how. We can keep doing this and it make any sense. All right. Well, we will d jump into that here in a little bit then. Um, so one of the things on uh, our podcast that we're interested in is the relevance of the institutionalization of the church uh, in modern context, historical context. Um, I mean, it used to be, I remember, uh, I don't know if this is still the case in this sort of study, but it used to be that churches really wanted to try to follow this New Testament model, this Acts-based uh, church. Uh, for my study, it seems as though the, the Acts and the early uh, church as being formed through the New Testament is really uh, doesn't seem as much a necessity or mandated as it is just a entity in transition trying to uh, uh, work in this Greco-Roman culture and trying to stay safe and at the same time trying to understand Jesus Christ and what he meant to the Jewish faith and what that means for them. And um, so we have this sort of uh, hodgepodge of people that are uh, coming to meeting together in the early church. Do you think that there is a New Testament vision for what the church should look like? Um, you know, a famous Anabaptist uh, um, scholar, theologian once said, the New Testament church could have done us a big favor if they would have just said, this was, this was our plan for church. For the rest of time until Jesus returns. Um, and uh, I think what he meant by that was uh, there was a pattern established uh, for church, but it was not a church that was in power, or it was not a church that was at, at all possessing of cultural power, approval, respect, 
and so uh, I think um, that's the big lesson of New Testament ecclesiology, that we are people born uh, and emerging and living under the new rule and reign of the living Christ, risen and seated at the right hand. And yet this always means that we're not in, po not in worldly power. Worldly power is different from godly power in Jesus Christ. It operates different. It is never power over. It is power with and among. It works through the presence, conviction uh, of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work through coercion. Mm -hmm. And so that part of the New Testament, to me, couldn't be any clearer. But once, you know, Anabaptists like me, now I'm an Anabaptist holiness, evangelical, Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Anabaptists like me, we, we want to blame Constantine for everything, but it's just a, an <laughs> endemic, it's an endemic problem when the church aligns with worldly power, whether it be government, whether it be business, whether it be money, whether it be leadership principles at the latest leadership guru seminar, always a big problem when we do that because we give up we replace we don't make space for the power and the presence of the living christ to work among us and in the world and uh, that's our that's our endemic problem so short answer or a summary of everything i've just said is yes the new testament teaches us a few things about ecclesiology but we got to navigate all these different cultural contexts mm -hmm. given those understandings of who we are in jesus christ so um we're definitely going to get into constantine here in a minute um uh kierkegaard once said that uh christianity when christianity became legal it ceased to be christianity so <laughs> uh he, he's a friend when of ours. Christianity became legal. What a great way to say it, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, the idea that under Constantine, when it when it became legal, that just the comfort, comfortability and the uh, yes. all that stuff, like there, there was no persecution of the church anymore. And so, um, you know, in your book, you make a similar claim uh, in your book. What is the church? You make a similar claim um, when you talk about the establishment of the creeds. And you talk about um, the establishment of the creeds changed the emphasis from a practice-based faith to a belief-based faith. So I was wondering if you could maybe be, paint a pre-Constantine picture of the church. Like, what, what, did, what would it have looked like for the average person to be part of a church? Well, well first, dude, you just bypassed there a really important uh, thing that I think is kind of an not kind of, I think it's really important. And that is, that is the belief versus practice approach to, to organizing a church. Mm -hmm. And um, what I said in uh, what is the church? Um, I think that's, I was looking for a copy of that book and I can't find it anywhere here. I'm in my <laughs> library. I can't find it. Uh, what I said there is that in, in, when we're not in, in power, when we're not a cultural thing, when we're not the people that have the respect and the authority given in a culture, uh, which is maybe the way the West saw itself 50, 60 years ago in North America, even though um, that kind of white hegemony 
ignored, marginalized, many different peoples. Um, but when you're in charge, you can say, okay, here's what you got to believe. And if you don't believe it, you're out or you're a, her you're a heretic. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what, all right, uh, there's a lot of people, especially in the academic world, especially at Northern Seminary, who might be a little mad at me and say, well, that's what happened at the creeds, uh, the Nicene councils. Um, but in a way, everything changed. We believe and we're going to enforce this belief is a different approach than we practice a way of life centered in the living presence of Jesus. And these are our core practices. And in order for these practices to make sense, you got to believe A, B, C, and D. Uh, this is what our beliefs actually mean in practice. Do you get the difference between the two different ways of, of starting points for the church. Do you get that, Eric? Does that make yeah. sense to you? Well, yeah. And that's why one of the, one of the reasons that I brought to bring this question up is because what, what does a practicing uh, church look like in the early church? Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't there, so I can't like <laughs> specifically uh, be too specific with you, but I, I know what it looks like here in the 21st century. Uh, a a culturally uh, a church built on cultural power, like there's this church about uh, uh, 15 miles from where I'm sitting, very large church, not Willow Creek by the way, but another one, <laughs> and they had in their statement of faith literal seven day creation. You had to believe that in order to become a member. Well, okay, so they're enforcing a certain way of understanding Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and a certain way of understanding the world. And if you want to be part of this, boom. And um, everybody within 100 miles drove uh, to that church who believed in, the, where, where that was the center point of their belief uh, in Christianity, or at least foundational point for understanding it. Well, that only is possible when you have people who want to be a Christian, who want to fit in, who actually look and are conditioned culturally to say, oh, the church is correct in what it says. I just got to assent and believe. And if I can't do that, well, then I'm in trouble. But when we don't have that cultural authority, when we don't have that uh, people trained up to go look at the guy up in the pulpit and say it must be true because he said it, normally it was a he, uh, then we have to start all over again on the ground. And we have to start actually living the Christian faith. We actually have to start living into the real presence of Jesus, submitting to his presence, working out our lives together in everyday life. And so in, uh, in the book, What is the Church? And in, in, in other books, I've described the church not as uh, a Sunday morning service, but uh, a set of circles where we live seven practices out. And by the way, there's always been practices to the Christian church. It's formed, the, it's formed who we are as a people, but these practices become the center center organizing feature of the church not are you, you want to be a member of our church assuming you already know what a church is well and you want to be here assuming you already know uh, our pastor well then you got to send to this and you can become a member it's not like that it's actually like let us let us uh, invite you to our house fellowship where we practice being present to one another around a meal where we pray 
and submit to one another in our daily tasks, where we learn about reconciliation, where we learn about the gospel as a means of proclaiming hope that Jesus is Lord. Will you, are you interested? Will you seek him at work in your life? Where we go and we be among the poor and the hurting and the broken, and we disrupt the powers and principalities that are destroying, including racism, including socioeconomic power, poverty and class, where we go use our gifts, where we take care of our children and others, where we learn how to pray and open our lives to the presence of Christ. I think I can make a decent case that that's indeed what was going on. In fact, I've already made the case in the book, Faithful Presence, that this is what was going on in the New Testament church. And indeed, when when uh, the church got organized and in power, it organized all those practices, not as a way of life, but as a thing run by the local priest in the local church where you had to come and you had to, you had to do A, B, C, and D in the church. That's what I think changed. Does that, I kind of went off on a little riff there. That's all right. That's all right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And so we, um, we see this evolution uh, occurring. Well, I don't know if I call it an evolution. I'm lost for the right term here, but we we go from creeds to confessions, and the church really gets into this belief thing. Um, uh, and confessions turn into these theological systems, and so we we get up to say the Reformation. How good were the reformers at practicing or trying to go back to some of those pre-Constantine beliefs, or were they at all? Uh, well, you just asked a huge question of a guy who's got, you know, I'm a professor and a pastor. Because I'm a professor, I have to talk in certain ways. In other words, I just can't pop off my opinion. I've got to be aware of, of the history and everything. So I got to be careful. But I, I have, so this is not maybe a majority opinion amongst all church historians. That's okay. But I think that the Re- Reformation, did very little hmm. to, um, uh, that's probably, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I think the Reformation stayed very much within the Christendom structure of the church. It did disrupt the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church. By the way, the Roman Catholic Church has a lot of good stuff in it. It just got institutionalized and aligned with worldly power. And corruption always happens when you align unchecked with worldly power. And um, at that point, uh, uh, they needed a check. Now they extracted the Bible. Not a whole. I have this piece. I, for, I forget uh, the name of the book that is published in, but it's unintended consequences of the Reformation. More unintended consequences of the Reformation. You know, it was good to raise the authority of the Bible over against the Roman Catholic Church. But then when you put the Bible and raised it and extracted it out of and put it into the hands of Americans, this is Stanley Hauerwas, the way he mm-hmm. put it, well, you, you basically let everybody make up their own Bible and interpretation. And this is why we have people who supported chattel slavery using the Bible in mm-hmm. eighteen. 52, you know, um, 
But uh, I would say the Reformation did accomplish a few things in terms of challenging the church and its corruption, but it stayed very much within the magisterial structures of power and authority of the of the Christendom world. It wasn't until the Anabaptists came along and said, hey, you idiots, you, you say we're deprived. You say we need to, you know, um, um, be serious about our discipleship, but but you, you basically have basically said it's okay to do a b c and d and not even you know be part of a community just go to church once a week check off the things and and you're done so the anabaptists are the ones who really started focusing on the discipleship and kingdom of god in jesus christ that was required for us to really call ourselves a people and and by the way they're not perfect either so all these things are intricate movements of church history in the west so um, I want to, I'm sort of taking a, uh, as you notice here, a very broad brushstroke to history. Uh, and we will, we're obviously leaving certain things out and choosing to say some things over other things. Uh, the motivation behind that is just for us to get to uh, the modern church here and uh, take a look at some things that we see in culture right now. And I'm very curious as, uh, someone who's on the fence with evangelicalism and a scholar at the same time, um, what your thoughts are on uh, the this uh, the way that beliefs are currently done. Um, and so I'm thinking of, in particular, Kierkegaard again. We're big fans of his, so we're going to quote him a lot. Um, he says that we often. Um, he paints this picture of a person wanting to say love, wanting to understand love. And what they'll do is they'll sit there and try their whole life to understand what the term means or what the belief means and never get into the actual practice of loving other people. And I feel like that's a huge problem in today's version of practicing Christianity. Um, what are What are some observations that you've made along those lines uh, about the church today? Oh boy, Eric, that was a, that was a minefield of, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, um, social media hasn't helped a whole lot. Um, it really does seem that we are now uh, at a point in Christianity where we are m much, much better at talking about it, extracting a concept like love or justice or racism or uh, racist or any number of, of content issues that really do good work if we're in face-to-face -face, on the ground table fellowships really does great work for our discipleship but when extracted out of everyday life it turns into a me against you thing and anger is injected and identity is interjected and we make an object out of the person we're talking we're not even talking to a person anymore we're talking to an object we think is the person and it's not only not doing discipleship it's immensely destructive 
to our discipleship and immensely destructive to our witness. Mm -hmm. And this points to the need that has always been with us, with us Christians since the beginning. And that is that God comes to be present in and among us in the flesh, not not in a extracted media concept that can be communicated uh, across the, the the airwaves or the internet's internet systems of our culture. I think this is a huge big problem. I think it's a big. Pro- I think it's a we look. We're it's everywhere. It's on. It's on. Uh, can I say the word Trump? It's on the Trump following Southern Baptists. Not all of you are following Trump. Not trying to loot. Uh, not trying to group you into one group, but those who do, it's 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 in the social justice activists that make justice a word that becomes a flag, a banner we wave. We're for this, and we go against anybody who's against us. And we don't actually do anything on the ground. We're sitting in our places of privilege. Mm-hmm. This goes for a lot of white people, by the way, and I'm not trying to throw all us white people under the bus, but it is a bad habit. And it works against what God would do. I think it's one of the main reasons why evangelicalism is a dumpster fire and nobody wants to have anything to do with it. It's what we've become. It's a posture of power, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's a posture of trying to hold on to power. And uh, I don't care who you are, whether you're John MacArthur in California somewhere trying to hold on to a congregation of a thousand people, whether you're, <clears throat> whether you're, uh, a social justice activist trying to gather a group of followers of 40,000 so you can sell a book and have influence. It's all the same. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, and uh, we need to be on the ground, people of God, working among the hurting, the lost, the broken. Mm-hmm. This is the way God's always worked. Every time we allow God to work, an, uh, an eruption of the real, of uh, a revolution starts, a truth event is revealed. That's what we need right now more than anything. We need a truth event, a church that goes and lives among the hurting and erupts with the significance of the Holy Spirit's work among us. So anyways, I don't know if that made any sense, but... Uh, well, it's, it, no, it does. And it seems like a, a good example of the, that just popped into my head was COVID, Um could have served as a great opportunity for the church to come alongside hurting people. Um, instead, it uh, immediately became a political battlefield. And that's what I worry about as I, as I see issues arise in our culture that the churches can confront and help and things are going to become political and it's just going to continue to divide and separate. Yeah, I mean, um, um, every time, okay, so I believe one of the functions, one, one of the key practices of the church is, is the town hall meeting, the local town hall gathering. But it's not like, say, a local school board meeting where there's a bunch of superintendents and presidents and what have you, and then the parents, and there's a lot of money here. And everyone's trying to argue for their piece of the pie or what they can get for their kids versus what the other parents want for their kids. It's not like that in the church. Instead, it's a different way. We come together on the, under the auspices 
of the reign of Jesus Christ. And so we submit one to another, trusting the work of the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is Lord. And then we just engage. So I'm, I'm one who, uh, who thinks wearing masks is a good idea when it can have any possibility, a small possibility of, of protecting the poor and the vulnerable and the hurting and, and, and the vulnerable physically from COVID. Mm-hmm. So if we've got an argument in our church about masks, can we please come together and submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord and talk about it mm-hmm. and listen to one another and submit to one another? And can you hear what this vulnerable person over here is saying about their fear of COVID and how comfortable they are or more comfortable they are when somebody wears a mask? Can you hear what's going on there? Can you hear what the other person's saying? I want to wear a mask for A, B. I don't want to wear a mask. We're giving into fear. What fear are we giving into? Uh, are we? So, anyways, when we actually have a legit space of his lordship where the Holy Spirit's working, where people are listening, I I think things happen. But today's church, it's a bunch of consumers gathering together to get what they want. And if you're mm-hmm. messing around with the Sunday morning service, we're mad. I think there are some legitimate uh, issues to discuss from the other side. Like, are we giving into the government? Is the government controlling the church when we give into their policies on wearing masks? Well, I would suggest if we are, that's probably not one of the big ones we should be going after. There might be some other ones that are more important, but, you know, let's have a discussion about it. Can we do that today? Can we show the world another way? Can we show what it's like for the Holy Spirit to break out and heal people, redeem people, heal brokenness? uh, I almost said redistribute wealth. I would call it not redistribute, but emerge with wealth that's out of a fullness of what God's doing so that no one goes hungry. Can we do this? If we could, we might just disrupt the world and Jesus might transform a culture and who knows what might happen. I'm not going to predict, but you could, but you'd be called a socialist. Say what? (laughs) I said you could, but you'd be called a socialist. Yeah, well, I grew up in Canada, and being called a socialist, I think, is a, it's for some people at least, is a compliment. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because down here in the states, Barack Obama is a conservative in Canada. You know, <laughs> so you know, just get out more and talk, and you might be surprised at how you your your ways you you see things working for the government but it's really not about the government we got to be about the church mm-hmm. screw the government okay sorry i shouldn't have said that uh um you know the government has its limitations <clears throat> it can only do so much it can do good things don't get me wrong it can protect and preserve but we got to get to the back to the work of being the church the people of god in this culture then mm-hmm. we'll see what jesus will do so I like how you define the church, in, uh, and, and I think that this is very relevant to what we're talking about right now, um, as being the representing the presence of God among humanity. And I think that um, the people that you're talking about when we're talking about are people submitting to the lordship of Christ, um, 
the people that are not doing that uh, fail to really understand that definition of what the purpose of the church is, I think. Um, and I really like that, that definition to basically to make God known to the world is, is the goal of the church. Um, what now my follow-up question to that is, um, and we're kind of moving into the future here a little bit. Um, so you get your prophetic hat on. Um, but what are, um, it used to be the case that you were sending missionaries out everywhere because you, you wanted everybody to hear about Jesus Christ. Well, everybody knows about Jesus Christ, relatively speaking. So what really is our purpose moving forward, um, especially in these tumultuous political um, lives that we're all living these days, it seems like, and that coupled with the fact that we're supposed to be the presence of, of God, what does that mean for us moving forward? What would that look like? Well, um, uh, you said a few things that, that I might take uh, umbrage with. Uh, you know, uh, does everybody know Jesus or know who Jesus is? I would say most people living or walking around North America, I'd say the majority at least, uh, are, are very confused about who Jesus is. And at the very least, they might have some very wrong ideas about who Jesus is based on, Probably based true. on what they've seen from the church in certain episodes of the recent politics of the United States. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't think we're just here to represent the presence. I think we're here to make spe space for the presence of God in Christ to be made manifest, visible. Um, and uh, Christ is present over the whole world, even though there's evil and the devil's at work. Uh, he's still present. He reigns over the whole world. It's just that not, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 25, not all enemies have been made subject yet. That's the way history is working. And so it's the job of the church to be faithful to his presence, to make space for the manifest, visible presence of Christ, to be made manifest. And to do that, God has always chosen a people. It's not like God's going to always, all the time, uh, take up uh, flesh and be Jesus. Uh, he's now got a body, a body of Christ to be man manifest in. So if we are living faithfully under the rain, we will see reconciliation like we've never seen before. We will see healings like we've never seen before. We will see people living lives of purpose and fulfillment uh, and love and uh, we will everywhere we go. We will have an impact for the uh, for the kingdom in terms of those lost and broken by poverty and racism and sexuality confusions and gender uh, patriarchies. We're going to. We, that's what bringing the salvation of Jesus Christ looks like: transforming uh, the world through the manifestation of His power. And his presence. I do believe the word power is appropriate to call or name how Jesus works in the world, but it is a completely different kind of power than the power over that we have seen manifested in the church, we've seen manifested in the world, the coercion, the abuse, all the nonsense that is 
that happens when we give ourselves over to the corrupting influences of worldly power. But there's another power at work, and the church is called to make space and manifest what that power looks like when it takes effect in people's lives. We're going to live the kingdom ahead of time. The rest of the world's already going there. They don't know it yet, but we're going to live it ahead of time, and the world shall see it. And I don't know how many or what the whole plan is that God's got in mind, but people will get saved. Saved meaning transformed by the power, presence of God to bring righteousness, renewal, transformation, restoration in and through Jesus Christ with God. So anyways, does that make uh, sense? I'm sorry to go off on these long rips. No, they're great. They're great. Um, no, that's that's good. We uh, are. I'm curious uh, about, and I'm. This is. I know that some of these questions are are kind of broad, and you really have to just kind of guess and give your educated answer. Um, but what what is going on with evangelicalism today, and is it? Can we? Can we save it? From the direction yeah. it's heading. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's that's a couple of three or four dissertations right there. What's going on with evangelicalism today? You know, evangelicalism got aligned with power. Billy Graham started paying visits to the White House. <laughs> uh, we. We thought we were culturally powerful, white evangelicals. We had no idea how we were being ensconced into an ideological formation with, a, with the power of the world, Satan, not, not Jesus. That's not all of evangelicalism, but the bigger the churches became, the more powerful they became, the more money we had, the more sucked in. Yeah, I don't know about you, Eric, but, you know, money, money, insecurity if you don't have it, money, uh, how much money, you know, uh, money is so endemic uh, as a disease. And, and so when you start getting a lot of money, I mean, it's corrupting. Anyways, all this to say, evangelicalism is reaping the rewards of its, of its alignment with worldly power. And uh, it's, there's large sectors of it which are not willing to repent and lament and uh, deal with its history. And so they're doubling down, trying to like keep as many people as they can in their buildings, their huge buildings. And it's ugly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know, though. I, I, I guess I guess, um, I guess. My comment is, uh, what's going to happen to evangelicalism? Is it is the moment of truth that we're going through going to lead to the complete dismantling of evangelicalism, and so it will disappear? There's always a remnant, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that remnant will go on, learn, and grow, and God will do a new thing. Or will evangelical, or will parts of evangelicalism, and I see some hopes and signs, will they repent? Will we lament, repent, deal with the history, uh, give up 
give up the aspirations for power. It's just everywhere. And I'm saying not just the right-wingers in Dallas, Texas. The left-wingers are reacting to the right-wingers in Texas, wanting to use the same power Mm -hmm. to accomplish the ends of the kingdom. And Jesus says to Pilate, I'm not going to use your power to accomplish the kingdom. I'm not going to be a king like you. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, he did not mean, I do not believe Jesus meant my kingdom doesn't, isn't material reality in the current world. They, they didn't think like that. He just meant my kingdom, my power is not the same as your power. And therefore, I'm willing to go to the cross and let Jesus and let God do through me, let God the Father through Jesus by the Spirit create a new kingdom uh, by being obedient to the power of God and not the power of the world. And I think that's the same tech, that's the same space we're in right now with evangelicalism. I don't know if we'll follow Jesus to the cross in the resurrection is one way of saying it. But if we don't, we will disappear into the annals of history and a remnant will come and carry forth the ministry of the gospel again someday until Jesus returns. Oh, very, uh, very well put. Um, if you um, uh, just joining us here, we are talking with Dr. Dave Fitch about the basically the purpose of the church. Um, hey, I really want to thank you for uh, being a part of this um, the show today, and thank you for enlightening us uh, a little bit more on the church. All right. Well, uh, enjoyed being with you. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, the book is what's the name of the book, Eric? What is the church? <laughs> the name of the book a, is What is the Church? It's a little book, and I wrote tiny. it. I just wrote it to give everybody a primer on how we can be faithful to return to being the church of Jesus Christ in these times. Everything we've been talking about for this last 40 minutes. It's been great. I uh, look forward to meeting you along the way in person, not on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. And may the Lord bless your work and your, your labors for Christ. You too.